just sit anywhere. It's so good to see you all. I don't know if you know, but I've been gone for a little bit. I went to Hawaii, and it was very fun. But I'm glad to be back. Um, today is kind of a special day for us, because today is the day that we celebrate St. Nicholas. And um, St. Nicholas, I'm sure you may have heard, was also a bishop. He was a bishop in the church, and he was born in Turkey. So he comes from a faraway place, and a long time ago, he was born in 270 AD. Yes. Did I see Barack Obama? I did not. I did not. Very good. I, you know, you are up on your news. That's so awesome. So I noticed that you guys are not wearing your shoes, and I think that's because um, you probably left them out outside the door right here, right? Oh, outside this door. Okay. Okay, outside that door. Well, do you know that that is a tradition that was brought to America by the Dutch, and the Dutch brought all this um, legendary stuff about St. Nicholas and about how wonderful he was, and the children would always leave their shoes outside on the 6th of December so that maybe when St. Nicholas came, he would fill their, their shoes with money and with candy and all sorts of things. Now, St. Nicholas, he was known as a lover of children. He loved children and he loved to bring them presents and he loved to take care of those who needed protection. And so St. Nicholas is someone really special for us. I loved the Lord, and I knew the Lord would get me through 
anything. And over time, I've been called the patron saint of sailors. Yay. <laughs> they need it. We'll let the Army join too, and the Air Force, and the Coast Guard. So he was not going to be able to pay the dowry. Well, St. Nicholas, me, I heard this from, from the wall, and I knew that he was in trouble, and he needed to get his daughters married. And so, but he didn't know I was there. And he told his first daughter, the eldest, I'm not going to be able to pay your dowry, and you won't be able to get married. And his daughter said, <laughs> Well, that night, I got some money and I put it in a cloth and I threw it into their house. And the next morning, the father saw the money there and said, yay, I can pay the dowry. But what to do with the other two daughters? I don't have any more money. Well, Nicholas heard this too. And so he did the same thing again. But he had to tell his daughter first, I can't afford it. And so the daughter said, The money came, and the other daughter was able to get married. And then there was a third daughter, and he still didn't have enough money for that. And the daughter said, ah! And Nicholas found the money, and he gave it to the man to help his daughters get married, because he loved people so much. And the man chased after me, and he, he said, Thank you, thank you, thank you. And I said, don't tell anyone about this. And you know in the scripture, Jesus, when he's talking to his disciples, he tells stories too and says, shh, don't tell anyone about this. Now, do you want another story? Okay, so here we go. I need the people over here to be thunder. Can you do thunder? <laughs> and I need the people over here to be wind. Can you go shh? And then everyone has to move back and forth. Because you know what? We are sailors on a boat. We're sailors on a boat. And all of a sudden, a storm comes up. And the wind started howling. And the thunder clapped. The thunder clapped and the wind kept howling. And all of a sudden, in the sky, there appeared a face, a vision of a man who said, why are you so worried? And he called the sea. And everything got calm, and the storm went away. And these men 
When they got back to land, they were going through town, and they stopped at a church. And they looked in the church, and I was there. And guess whose face they recognized? They recognized my face because that was the face they saw in the vision. And they bent down before the Lord, and they continued to worship the Lord. So later on, I became the first bishop, or a bishop, in Mira. Mira is another place in Turkey, not far from where I was born. But you know how that happened? Do you know how that happened? So the priests were trying to choose a new bishop. I hadn't even been there yet. But one of the priests got a vision and was told the next person that walks in the door named Nicholas would be the new bishop of Mira. And just like I banged on the door there, I banged on the door and boom, walked in and they said, who are you? And I said, I am? Nicholas. That's right. And they said, oh, our blessings are answered. Our prayers are answered. We have been looking for Nicholas. And I became the new bishop of Mira. I love children. I love giving of myself. I love giving everything I have. I have a hard life. My parents died. But I got a lot of money from that, and I used my money to spread good, good cheer to children, to sailors, to prisoners, to all those who did not have things that people of wealth did. And so with that, I want to leave you with one verse of scripture that I think sums it up. And it is my favorite verse. This is from the book of Matthew. Do you know the book of Matthew? first book in the New Testament, Matthew 5, 3 through 10. This is how I try to live my life, and this is how I hope you will try to live your life, dear children. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Yours is the kingdom of heaven. And with that, I leave you, my children. Go forth, love, and give. And thank you for helping me so much. Thank you. exciting to have Bishop Nicholas show up right here at St. Christopher's. But you know, like any saint, he reminds
reminds us of the importance of preparation. Bishop Nicholas of Mira, he was a holy and generous man. His, he was so holy and generous that his legend extends for almost 2,000 years. But like any saint, Nicholas was not born a saint. Life circumstances, faith, and the choices that he made shaped him as it shapes all of us. And how appropriate that two years ago on St. Nicholas Day 2017, our own Nicholas was ordained. Uh, and much like his dad. And much like his patron saint, Father Nick was made a priest as a result of preparation. Father Nick was not born a priest, but life circumstances, his openness to following the call of Jesus and his purposeful choices eventually led to that extraordinary day when we, this congregation, crossed that amazing threshold with him. Years before, when Nick was sort of sensing God's call to the priesthood, he and Teresa had to make some intentional choices. And so they decided that he would join the Navy and serve his country away from family for six years so that he might then qualify for the GI Bill and go to seminary. And so after a decade of swabbing the deck and refining his leadership skills and doing Compline by phone with his family at night, long distance, and then three more years at seminary, you can bet that on that day of his ordination, that there was real joy, that there were tears, and there was a sense of, oh my gosh, such answered prayers. And so as we too move deeper into Advent, Father Nick's story, it's just one example of how the role of preparation is so important to get to the other side where there's joy in the fulfillment. In preparation, I'm talking about desire and discipline, working and waiting. And of course, there's, there's praying and trusting that God will do his part for us. And all of that comes part and parcel with our hearts being able to be broken open as we receive with joy and wonder when we finally do get to the other side. And we certainly don't arrive at our deepest desires without first identifying what we're going after and then journeying through some, some dark and liminal spaces as we move there. Advent functions in much the same way for us. It's this necessary preparation period for Christmas. And today, I know that I am preaching to myself. With all of our busyness, it is so easy to lose sight of what Christmas is all about as we get pulled into the crush of, of shopping and parties and travel and work and school and family gatherings, even caravan. And certainly all these things are good and fine in themselves, but together they distract and overwhelm us from keeping our eyes on the prize, on the real hope that Christmas offers. And each year, we have to sort of grasp again the significance of God's creation, of God's coming to earth with skin on. And all of that requires preparation. It demands this practice of slowing down in order to catch that vision once again of what God's coming kingdom might mean. Theologically, Advent, the hope of Christ's coming, comes in three waves. 
It comes first in that birth in the manger some 2,000 years ago. It comes in us, in all sorts of circumstances of life. And it comes in a final arrival in his glorious majesty when God's reign of peace will ultimately put all things to right. So as we gather for worship and prepare our hearts for Christ's coming, did you realize that in the Advent lectionary, every year, two of the four Sunday readings are about John the Baptist? And that's because he personifies this way of Advent, the one Isaiah foretold who would prepare the way of the Lord and make his path straight. Even today, John's words beckon us to prepare for the Lord's coming. The church reminds us that we too need this preparation time to repent, for the kingdom of God draws near. To repent, metanoia in Greek, is not necessarily to, to beat ourselves up, but rather to, to turn our hearts and minds back to God. For John sensed that God was about to fulfill this ancient longing, which Isaiah foretold that the kingdom of God was truly coming. And that kingdom of God, that was everything that creation had ever hoped for, a new day that dawns out of the dark, long night. And after what we experienced this weekend with the scary mass shootings in our own Naval Aviation Station on Friday, aren't we more than ready for God's peaceable kingdom to finally come? Amidst a world plagued by violent ideologies, addiction, isolation, broken relationships, don't we all long for that day when, as was read to us this morning from Isaiah, that the wolf will live with the lamb, that the leopard will lie down with the young goat, that the calves and the young lion will feed together, and a little child shall lead them. Like the ancient Hebrews, much of our experience of peace begins with the recognition of what peace is not. We have no peace when our fear of whatever it is keeps us up at night or when we're exposed to this constant bombardment of angry rhetoric that drives us against and then away from one another. Yet even in the midst of sorrow and pain, we have experienced moments of peace that surpass our understanding. God's peace has been seated in us, giving us enough courage to keep on longing for thy kingdom come. Advent hopes for God's radical transformation of self and society, of which John and Isaiah were so trusting that would eventually come. So come this Christmas, if we're prepared, we'll celebrate with joy the first dawning, the first advent, the already and not yet reign of God's peace who was born in a manger. But I also invite you to, to soak in the spirit of Isaiah's vision of God's complete and final redemption. Take today's scriptures home. Savor Isaiah's kingdom images where the whole of creation shares in the shalom of God. Make that a part of our Advent longing. Each year, Advent is our invitation to glimpse and desire what God so longs to give to us, his peace on earth, as those angels heralded 
long ago. And even so, in the midst of trouble, know that Jesus himself is our peace. Begin to, to draw that in with wonder that God is always with us. Take some time to remember your baptism, how we're already saturated in Christ like the waters that cover the sea. We are never disconnected from him. He lives in us. He lives in every one of our cells. And if we are his disciples, partners with Christ in healing the world, surely world peace can only emerge from our own inner peace. So in giving Jesus lordship, we gain this freedom to, to open our hearts and to clothe ourselves in the spirit of peace and not the spirit of war. This Advent, as we participate in our daily conversations, I invite you just to be mindful of your spirit. Am I coming at those people that I'm talking to from a, from a place of peace? Or am I coming to them from a place of irritation and judgment? The great Russian saint, Seraphim of Serov, he offers me this big clue on how my presence, my inner work and prayers matter as we usher in God's kingdom. He said, acquire the spirit of peace and a thousand souls around you will be saved. In this crazy busy season, that's been, I would say, imposed upon us. What if we at least took five minutes to sit down with a cup of tea or a cup of coffee and just sat in the quiet with our Lord? We could talk to him, we could lay our burdens down on him, we could count our blessings, or we could just sit there silently and warm our hearts in the fire of our friendship with Jesus. These practices of preparation, of slowing down, are so important. Some of you are already pausing daily, doing your morning prayer and coloring in those, those Advent calendars that we were given. These help. All of us are invited to come this Wednesday to the Taze Meditative Service. I promise you, it's going to be wonderful. Or you could join the faith forums on Sunday as we ponder the Virgin Mary, our exemplar who like us, could be pregnant as we prepare to deliver Christ into the world that so needs him. Advent gives us a space, once again, to glimpse with tenacious hope the unfolding of peace that's already been given to everyone. Our preparation does matter, and yet God is so gracious that ready or not, Christ will come.